0: Justin White, and I am your host, and I am delighted to be back. Uh, I took a few weeks off to focus on healing. My bones are looking good, according to my surgeon. Well, he's not my surgeon. He's a surgeon, and he's the one that worked on me, so I guess he's in that regard. He's my surgeon. Um, He said it's looking good, almost all the way healed. He said I could take off the arm brace that I've been wearing for the last couple months, this giant robot-looking thing that I've had to sleep in and work in and do everything in aside from showering. So I'm very pleased about that, to say the least. Um, I want to express, again, my gratitude for all the medical staff that cared for me the night of and the ensuing weeks after uh, the accident and for all my friends and family who did the same, and for my physical therapist who continues to, week after week, beat the shit out of me, and um, but all in the name of uh, goodness and full mobility and full range, which I hope to someday have. I don't know. There's a chance I'll never get my arm back exactly as it was. I mean, I know I won't because there's a gash dang piece of metal in there now, a few of them. And, uh, you know, it still hurts a lot. I still have to do exercises often. They're excruciatingly painful, but it's good. It's going to be good. Everything's going to be good. Everything. I mean, everything. Um, I actually, I've learned a lot from this experience. Um, a lot I've been able to sort of change my whole outlook on life. Well, that might be an exaggeration. I've changed some of my outlook on life and I've managed to let go of a couple not so good habits and replace them with some very good habits. So that feels nice. Um, and I'm just generally sort of appreciating life and the air that I breathe and the water that I drink and the people that are in my world, and the animals, and the sky, and the trees, and the flowers, and the bees, and all of the goodness. Um, So enough about my business. Let's talk to my friend Allison. Uh, She and I met long ago when I first moved to San Francisco, but we barely ever hung out, Um, really only a few times. And we definitely never had a long conversation one-on-one like we did here. So this was a remote recording, uh, achieved through the miracles of technology, and um, but there's some digital echo slash delay slash feedback slash interference slash whatever you want to call it, uh, just periodically. Not too bad. Uh, I did my best. The one thing that may not be able, you might not be able to hear, is the name of Allison's cat from way back when when we met which was Richard, which I think is amazing. Um, And there you have it. So let's listen to The Mighty Pacific in one of its more gentle modes, lapping upon the shore. And then let's talk to Allison. All right. So tell me about your, tell me about your upbringing.
1: Yeah. So, um, my, uh, my parents had moved down to Monterey when my sister was like a year old. They had, they had met in San Francisco and lived in Mill Valley and then moved down there. And my grandparents moved down there too. And so that's how I got lucky enough to live near my grandparents. And I grew up just hearing all the stories about, you know, their, uh, their crazy adventures and, Well, adventures is a nice word for my grandfather's life because he uh, was a full-blooded Assyrian and he was um, burned out of his village when he was 13 during the... Right now, there's a lot of recognition for the uh, Armenian uh, genocide happening and uh, they're just kind of not... Like, I don't know, forgetting uh, about the Assyrians but uh, because it was a... Smaller group of people that were kind of, you know, once, once the Assyrians were kind of done being the badasses and doing a lot of bad things as like the first major civilization, and you know, they took over a bunch of stuff. But then they were living in just little villages; they didn't have their own country. Okay. And uh, so, my grandfather was living in a village uh, on a ple- in a place called Lake Ermia. And in, I think it's pretty far, oh, what's that direction? Eastern Turkey in the mountains. And, uh, so the Ottoman empire came in and said, yeah, we don't like you guys. So we're going to burn your villages. And so he had to see his own father, uh, burned alive in front of him.
0: Jesus Christ. That's awful. Yeah.
1: yeah. And,
0: what, uh, what year would that have been or years? Uh, About
1: 1914. Okay and uh so then he and his brothers his mother had actually left the family uh for a wealthy man which is something you know she was a rebel in her own time
0: yeah
1: and, yeah back then that. yeah crazy. and so he and his brothers were left to flee through and they had to you know basically hike barefoot through russia in the snow and sleep up against snowbanks. banks um, to get, to save their lives. Um, Amazing. And then... How, how old were his brothers? Uh, let's see. O- older or younger than him? Well, actually he, he was only fleeing with one of his brothers. They were all just sort of, you know, when it all happened, they all just got out as they could. So he had his one half-brother with him. And uh, so he was about the same... Well, I think his half-brother was about two years younger. And, uh, so
0: 13 and 11, yeah. and they were walking across Russia?
1: Yeah. And so at one point they were walking alone and they uh, were starving and thirsty. And there was this bush and they had some berries on it and they were like, yay, berries. So they ate all the berries and um, they turned out to be poisonous. And it's it, it's a crazy story, but it's actually true because uh, my grandfather was was it and heard it firsthand. His mother came down that same deserted road with a donkey and a cart, and you were only very rich if you had a donkey and a cart in those days. Um, uh-huh. And she found her two sons half dead, and she got them out to the coast where she could put them on a ship and send them to America.
0: Holy crap! That's a that's amazing. Let's, yeah, let's, and,
1: uh, and my like, grandfather was truly—he uh, was—he had—he had such an amazing being about him. Uh, after he came back, he uh, went to Turlock, where there is a Syrian community, and worked in Vineyard for a while, and eventually went to Bible College and met my grandmother, and then they went back to be missionaries in the Middle East, which is where my mom was born. But he, uh, when they ended up back here. Um, I ended up being born on his birthday and he and I, and I was his special little person, you know, and, and we had the most, yeah. he was, he, his, his spirit had been, I don't know. I, I think that the more pain you suffer, if you survive and get through it, I feel like it just gives your being that much more presence.
0: I think you're probably right. I mean, I think that the, the certainly you're more checked in with, what life is about if you've been through a bunch of stuff
1: yeah yeah and he was uh he was actually and this was you know back in the 70s that was the first time i had ever heard about the word uh clinical depression you know and he he was they gave him uh which was a very old drug they used to use that just really suppresses everything you know makes you kind of tired and stuff and he didn't like it so he ended up choosing to just, he would he would put headphones on and play uh, classical music, really really loud, and drink a glass of wine, and that was his therapy.
0: Nice. Do you know what he listened to? Did he have favorites?
1: Uh, he, at Bach, Beethoven, those were the, his two big collections.
0: Nice. The best. Yeah. So, and you so you grew up being raised by. Your grandparents? Or you said they were your daycare?
1: Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So and they and my grandmother, you know, just was the ultimate grandmother who taught us everything. And I mean, you know, there's some unfortunate stories, but overall, she was just a really fabulous person who I felt lucky that I kind of decided to connect with her later in life because we started looking into each other's eyes and she started seeing me and I started seeing her. And, you know, I, I got to hear the stories about when she was a naughty little girl in the riverbank in Utah. And, you know, um,
0: <laughs> what, what, what did she do that was naughty or what are the, I was
1: just were? getting dirty and acting like a boy and riding horses and, you know, doing stuff that her parents didn't think a girl should be doing. Oh, <laughs> and so when I came home with a Mohawk, you know, and nobody else could talk to me. My grandmother just looked at me and touched my head and looked at me and just gave me a chuckle. Like, she was like, I get it.
0: That's (laughs) awesome. So you feel like you followed in in her spirit as well? Just kind of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she was, she, uh, she is the kind of grandma that I think I'm sure they do exist still. I don't know any personally in my current life, but who, you know, she took care of us, but she wasn't just taking care of us. She taught us to cook, you know, she put us to work. um, You know, so we knew everything we needed to do by the time we were pretty young.
0: That's awesome. That's such a great gift to, to give a kid.
1: It is. It's incredible. And, you know, she had us every week, we made these cookies and, you know, we all did it together. And so I have this tradition of her cookies that You know, as soon as I make them, I'm right back at grandma's house. Oh,
0: that's great. The smell and everything. Oh, yeah. I feel like every generation, we lose some of that. Like kids are being taught less by their parents and grandparents. and Well,
1: because you can look everything up on YouTube so they don't, I think that there's a culture of not seeing value in age that is really kind of poisonous for us right now.
0: Totally. I totally agree. But, and the problem with knowing that you can look something up is that often you you don't you just think like well I could if I needed it yeah and then you don't, then you never learn that thing
1: yeah exactly yeah. and exactly you know well and I mean you know I don't I'm all don't bad to have all of that information you know um I, the, the critical part is teaching people how to vet the information that they're getting you know and right um, for myself too, you know, it's like, we can't be lazy thinkers, you know, we have to like really be smart about it and, and, and make sure that what we're seeing, you know, is something more than somebody's brain fart.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's the, other, that's the other thing that's great about firsthand knowledge, when somebody's passing mm-hmm. something down to you, that they themselves have experienced. Exactly. You know yeah. it.
1: And my grandfather, he actually wrote, I remember the, there was about I don't know, it probably it seems like three years or so where my grandfather was sitting at the dining table on his, you know, old, you know, regular old typewriter. And uh, he typed out about 700 pages of his story. And we still have it. And, um, you know, I've had so many people say, oh, it needs to get into the right hands. And, you know, I'm, I'm, of course it does. And finding the people who it matters the most to right now that I've been in touch with, you know, they say, This is really important, but right now I'm too busy trying to save my people, like literally all of their time. It can't go into preservation right now. If they know something is in safe hands, they say, just hold it because right now all of my energy is in trying to keep my kids from, you know, and my people from dying. Wow, it's a, it's a very, it's a very tragic, uh, situation that, you know, is something that a lot of people don't realize.
0: You know. It's never talked about. I mean, you yeah. never hear that particular story of that part of the world.
1: No. And, you know, my, um, it, it, it the, the, the main reason for their persecution is being Christian, you know, and, and the, uh, I feel like I, uh, my perspective on um, Christianity comes from a place that is also it's just pretty unique because my grandfather he he had um, a Bible written in Aramaic which is uh, the original language it was written in Wow and uh, and he, would, he had
0: it like from childhood it was his oh yeah his
1: oh yeah wow yeah and um,
0: so that's like what he brought with him when he left
1: yes you know? yeah. yes and yeah. uh, it, I think he had like well. I'm trying to think where I think it, I think actually now that his mother brought it to him when she came over here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he didn't bring anything with him. He was barely clothed. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, his mother brought him the Bible. And so, but it was just huge. And, you know, Aramaic was his first language and, um, because that, that's the language of the Assyrians and, uh, so the way that he taught us from the bible there was it, it wasn't like crazy it, didn't, it wasn't crazy sounding to me at all it was very much parables you know and basically i mean having the having this bible stories you know being raised by a man who was you know a missionary and then he was a reverend um in the first assemblies of God church, you know, where I would go and go to Sunday school and stuff. And I, I was never interested in little Sunday school teacher stories, but my grandfather's stories were fabulous, you know, and there was a point when at the church where he was the reverend, the church elders came to him and said, "Um, we're going to require you to tell the congregation that they need to put more money in the collection plate. Uh And my grandfather said, no, he said, you know, these are good people and they are giving what they can. And I won't, I won't do that. And so he was let go. Wow. And uh, the the best part about that story is that uh, every Sunday after that, about 25 people showed up for Bible study at his house.
0: (laughs) They wanted him and not the church.
1: They didn't want the guy that replaced him that would, tell them to give more money, yeah. you know? And so that's cool. Yeah. So I, yeah. So he was a true Christian. He was exactly. And, you know, it's funny how often that, how often growing up people, you know, would say to me, you know, Oh, are, you know, do you go to church? No. And are you a Christian? Well, I believe in the gospel that Jesus Christ brought, you know, I don't believe the magic stories, but, um, and so they say, Oh, you're not a Christian then, <laughs> you know, and then, And those are the people, you know, who are so just logged into thinking that you have to be under somebody's rule to have any kind of benefit from past wisdom, you know.
0: Right. And And you have to pay your dues.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that you have to like follow. Always be giving something. Yeah. And, you know, really, ultimately, the Bible was written by men. And, you know, there's a lot of stories in it about, you know, how, you know, God punishes women just for being women, right. you know, and how they have to just obey their men and all this stuff. And why would any thinking woman <laughs> believe that stuff and subscribe to it,
0: you know? I have always um, that now, I mean, why would any thinking person be okay with that, you know, even if right. they are beneficial? From the, I, I don't understand the whole. Well, it's a it's a story as old as time. I guess it's just been mm-hmm. patriarchy for a long time, most of the world, and so the mm-hmm. stories are almost all written by men, and the the power is held by men, and the you know. Yeah. But just the fact that it go, it went on for so long after things started to change, mm-hmm. but, but we would hold on to these traditions that were so archaic and and detrimental to some you know. Well,
1: yeah, out of fear, because all of the stories are about fear. If you don't do this stuff, you're going to go to hell. Right. You know, and and there's, um, you know, it's kind of the nanny state, right? You can't think for yourself and figure out from your own relationship with the inner spirit or whatever God or, you know, whatever name you want to have for this thing that happens within all of us, whether you name it or not, you know. Yeah. You have to my whole thing is if it doesn't sound like it's coming from love, then it's not God.
0: That's, that's awesome. That's exactly how I feel. I mean, that's, I don't think there could be a wrathful God. I don't understand that concept. That's a totally man-made
1: creation of art. men to keep people in line. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, and it, but
0: yeah, it's if, gotta be, love-based.
1: you know, if, if people decide that they have to think for themselves, then that's scary as hell. It's so much easier to follow some rules and check some boxes and say, I'm good.
0: Right. Yeah. I guess, but yeah. On the whole, that's how most people feel It's like they don't.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, do they, think, they, they think there's an evolution, good. you know, I think there, there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, I feel like that there are a bunch of places now, like, you know, um, churches or um, where people gather and, and it's not about having the right name for the right God, you know, but they're just gathering and, community and you know i think that's all you know i think that's a good start
0: yeah for sure but we have a long way to go to, to take <laughs> ourselves out of the the trench of the sort of meanness that, yeah. that comes along with all the stories so did your grandfather's bible not like were those parables not fear like riddled with fear and
1: no no they were I mean, okay. not from what I remember. Again, you know, we're we're talking about a long time ago, and I imagine that I'm probably filtering some things, but I just remember the feeling of it was that my grandfather's uh, scripture and gospel that he taught um, it was very passionate. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like I almost want to say that there was f- like some fear involved just because of the passion you know with which he would speak. And, but it wasn't really so much fear. Like it was just fear like, wow, this is important.
0: Uh, it was fervor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, um, and, you know, so he, he kept that up and, you know, he, I think that people, um, I, I try, I really don't get in to conversations about religion with people because, without giving them the whole background of what brought me to where I am, you know, um, I can, I can tell them what I think. And, you know, ultimately it's not very convincing or yeah. I guess that's not necessarily the point is to convince anyone, but,
0: but that is sort of what I people feel like, are looking um, for. There's, yeah. You know, yeah. When, when somebody asks you what you believe in, they are kind of wanting it to be close to what they believe in so they can decide right. if they like you or not.
1: That's right. That's right. And uh, yeah, I've never let uh, truth be something that I toss away in order to have a friend.
0: many people are willing to bend their own uh whatever you know sort of bend anything to to appease or to belong
1: well you know what that um (laughs) that's sort of the the title of my marriage Oh
0: really?
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i I just had to learn you know i just had to stay 10 years too long in a 15-year marriage you know to learn that lesson i was too stubborn i was a total pleaser you know, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't lie about anything except for my own experience (laughs) and, you know, and,
0: um, feelings in order to make it okay.
1: Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, it's like when you're in a total survival mode, I mean, when I, I, you know, I, I didn't even, I didn't see what was happening when, um, in my marriage because I was distracted by trauma. Basically, I mean, it was, it was kind of early on. It was, I mean, we were great for about the first two years. And then, you know, when my daughter was two weeks old, um, I walked in my mom's bedroom to find out why she wasn't up yet. And I found her dead. Oh, and yeah, I'm so was-
0: sorry. I didn't, I, I guess I knew that, but I didn't, I didn't know the circumstances
1: yeah. around it. Yeah. I affected. and, um, you know, she was my, I'm sorry, I'm going to cry a little bit. <laughs> um,
0: totally fine.
1: She was my only, um, partner that was on my level, you know, other, I mean, Scott was, but he, he was my fun guy and I never needed him for support, you know? And, and so I, he hadn't proven himself as a support person before we got married. and, I would say if there's one bit of advice I get could give to everyone, it's, you know, make sure to test it. Yeah. <laughs> make sure to test it the hard way before you really commit um, because it, it just turned a direction that I had no idea what to do with because I had a two-week-old baby and my mom died and I didn't have anyone around on my side, basically, you know?
0: Um, what was his reaction? Did he just sort of duck out and well, wasn't there? For he
1: went time? in, he went into, it, it was weird. I don't even, I don't, I can't even explain why he did this except that it's very typical of people who are kind of controlling and, you know, I don't know the word narcissist is just thrown around a lot, but he, he, he fits it pretty well. Um, and so like what happened was I had, horses and mastiffs and ducks and, you know, this whole thing that my mom and I were partners on, you know, and she fed my horses for me and I mucked out the stalls and did all the, all the big stuff and um, went and got hay and, you know, all that stuff I was totally independent on. Well, I had to have a C-section for Chloe and so I couldn't do any heavy work. And then my mom suddenly died and I didn't have anyone to feed the horses. And um, he, he, <sighs> He basically said, well, I'm not going to take care of him. Yikes. Yeah. And so. uh,
0: Did he explain why or did he just, he just wasn't going to do it?
1: He just, I'm not in horses. I don't want to spend any, I don't want to do that. You know, that was just really his whole thing. And he said, if you can't take care of them, then, you know, he said, you're going to have to find help. And I didn't know anybody and I'm at way out in the country and um, I couldn't afford to pay someone and so I said okay well I'm gonna have to just find a really nice home for these horses and you know me and animals I don't know how well you know me and animals well
0: the first time (laughs) I met you I think was at your house when you had uh, (laughs) Lucy the dog and Richard the cat which (laughs) by the way is still one of my favorite cat names ever (laughs) but yeah your love of animals was clear from the, from the get-go.
1: Yeah. And they're my kids. And so these horses, I had a miniature horse and then I had um, a paint horse that I'd gotten them both when they were five, uh, five months or six months old. And I had them for about five years and suddenly had to get rid of them. And anyway, so I, you know, I, it's yeah. one of those things you just, there's not an option. And so you do what has to be done, you know, and when it, when you're in the middle of a trauma of, having just lost your mom, you know, you may not make the best decisions, <laughs> but, well, I had a two week old baby. Well, yeah, exactly. I know people, people would say, did you get postpartum depression? And I really, I really didn't as far as I know, but I had a very time to <laughs> <a> much, <laughs> much, more, much more different thing happening, but, um, anyhow, so I gave up the horses and then he said, well, we can't have all four, two of the Mastiffs, we had four Mastiffs at the time and two of them were my mom's. And he said, well, we can't have all four Mastiffs in the house. And he just laid down this law. And I said, um, and you know, I, it's, it's so unbelievable to me that I was unable to fight back, but I just, I was fighting alone and I didn't have much to give, you know, and it was just easier, I guess, to just say, okay. So I found some beautiful homes for, the dogs. And, um, and it was just like looking back on it, you know, I'm going, man, you know, my whole, my whole agreement to moving out to, to the country from the beach, you know, was like, all right, if I'm leaving the coast in the city, then I am going to have to have land, horses and mastiffs. That That was my agreement. Right. And then I didn't even like recognize that I was just getting stripped of those with, without being able to, change that, you know, and then later on in our marriage, he's complaining to me that I don't have any hobbies that I'm passionate about, you know, I'm like, dude. stole
0: them from me, you asshole.
1: (laughs) Fucking kidding me? (laughs) Um, You know,
0: so. uh, I mean, you were in such a vulnerable position, uh, so it's not surprising to me, uh, you know, objectively that you wouldn't be able to fight for those things because you were fighting for your life and your kid, you know, safety child
1: exactly you know and at one point i called scott's mother who you know we were living in auburn at the time and, and scott's my ex-husband and his uh parents live in colfax 20 minutes away and i was having just a a moment and i don't know i don't know if it's described as psychotic or what but i just felt disconnected and i looked at chloe in her little she was in one of those like rocking chair things you know that, that hang and rock um right. and I felt like I couldn't take care of her. I, I, there was something weird; thoughts were coming up, and so I, I called Leanne Scott's mom, and I just said, "Leanne, I'm having kind of a freak out, and I don't know what to do. I feel like I can't take care of Chloe," and she just said, "Oh, I'm sorry, honey."
0: Ugh, I guess you see where he got it then.
1: Exactly, and and she really is the, the the queen of it, and and I've and I've really learned uh, that that there's an adage I've heard that a man is made by his mother. And that, it's, it's a very strong confirmation of it. So he couldn't handle the first trauma, I mean, and and didn't, the levels of this kind of behavior was something I had never experienced in life. I wasn't prepared for it. You know, I, I grew up in a very, not uh, not verbally or emotionally evolved, like, you know, nobody talked about anything, but you were always there for each other, uh-huh. you know, and I, I just thought that's what happened, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and it was just an odd thing. His whole family culture was very uninterested in being supportive of me, even though I had their grandkid, you know, and then when I, and my mom, okay, these are just stories and, you know, I, I realize that some of this is just incredibly boring, but I just want to share it. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. So we had my mom's memorial in um, Monterey and there was a big motorcycle race. That's what Scott was his whole life was about he was a motorcycle racer and stuff and uh so he opted he asked me can i go to the race instead of your mom's memorial or he said jesus he said what do you want me to do but he was looking at me with i want to go to the race and i said right you can go to the race
0: (laughs) you piece of shit
1: well no and that's the big problem justin is is i i I,
0: you didn't feel that at the time?
1: You, I didn't. And that's gosh. that is that's like right kind of where the crux of the thing is. And when my mom's best friend was there, you know, she that was when she gave him the nickname the Phantom. And, you know, nobody could believe that he wasn't there, you know, when I'm there with my three-month-old or two-month-old baby, you know, and Ugh. um at my mom's memorial and hearing beautiful stories about my mom's life stuff I had never even heard. And it was just this fabulous thing that he opted out of. And, you know, so
0: to go r- if, race around a track that he could do anytime or be- yeah.
1: Yeah. You know? And so, I mean, if, if I, I were in my strong point or if I had somehow, I, you know, when I think about that, it's like, wow, that would have been the time to get out. You know, <laughs> that would have been the time to, to recognize that he's essentially not made to be a partner,
0: no.
1: And I'm not going to be supported, you know. Um, But I, I wasn't right. I was too desperate. Yeah. I needed someone. I didn't have anyone else, you know. So I, I was just like, okay, I'll just keep making it all about him. And then I got cancer, and you know, throughout cancer, I I, I didn't do cancer right. <laughs>
0: did, when did you get cancer? Like what? How?
1: Was uh, two thousand nine. I got a stage three. A breast cancer. I was 46, and uh, because I was young for the cancer that I had and had a kid, they asked my permission to just hit me as hard as they could. And I said, Yep, please do. Wow. So uh, I got uh, six months of chemotherapy and uh, 35 radiation treatments, and you go five days a week for seven weeks. It's crazy.
0: Oh my God. uh, That's so intense.
1: Well, so yeah, you know, I mean, but it's interesting. So these are the other thing kind of, I was thinking about this last night that these always tend to be sort of the crazy stories that nobody hears. So, so I'll share some of my cancer treatment stories um, not about Scott with his bad behavior. I mean, you know, ultimately he, just kept thinking I needed to praise his penis over my own health, you know? And
0: I'm pretty um, sure the narcissist label fits in this case. Yeah. Knowing as much yeah. well as I do about him, I'd, I'd say it's in keeping with that. <laughs>
1: but- yeah, it's pretty solid. <laughs> sure. So uh anyway, um so, but what was crazy and, you know, I mean, I was going through all this pretty much alone. He didn't come and hang out with me during any of this stuff that was happening and he didn't, he brought Chloe to visit me in the hospital, but he was not, you know, I was like, my sister was in the hospital. Her husband stayed there the entire time, you know? As um, you should. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of what being yeah.
0: a husband is, or a partner.
1: That's what I thought, too. So, but I- you know, so he
0: didn't even go with you to your treatments? No. Ugh. I don't like this guy. I've never met him, but I don't like him.
1: No, no. And, you know, well, the thing is, he's a narcissist, so he's very charming. And, and you know, as long as you don't need to count on him for anything, um, <laughs> most people think he's a really great guy.
0: Yeah, I think I'd see through that bullshit.
1: Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I do now. But uh, anyhow, so, so in my, during my treatment, I mean, so the chemotherapy that I had was uh, two of the drugs are now um, illegal.
0: They <laughs> were that potent,
1: you mean? Um, yeah, they're just... Uh, well, one of them was uh, because the manufacturer um, did not disclose the permanent effects uh, that would happen, basically, if you took this drug because they wanted to sell it.
0: Yeah. What, what are the permanent effects?
1: Um, well, you know, and it varies by person, but basically I'd, I never got my hair back completely. I have kind of, you know toddler hair with male pattern baldness (laughs) um and you know and that honestly um it just it's you know not something i'm proud of but apparently vanity even though i'm not someone who prances around trying to you know do all the things to look fabulous for everyone hair is a big deal for a woman especially and i imagine for men too but it's just a lot more normal to see guys you know without hair yeah And, uh, you know, to, to like, I I wear a hat almost every day (laughs) because my hair just sucks. And and other people will look at it and say, it's not bad, your, your hair's fine. But, and it's a little dumb, little kind of prison. I keep myself in by not accepting it. So that's something I'm trying to work on, but it's a huge challenge. You know, most women, you know, I mean, there are a lot of women who have to deal with that. I'm not alone, you know, but women who, you know, wear wigs, get extensions, whatever.
0: Right. But also you live in a very small community, right? Yes. You don't, you don't want to be known as that, that it'll be an identifier in a, you know, in a big city and blend in.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good point. And I think also because, um, you know, yeah, anyway, I'll move on past the hair, but, um, so the, uh, the other, you know, they don't really know. I mean, they had, there's just basically, they said that I think the most common things were just having the, the hair loss, but, um, I have had ongoing sort of immunity problems and, you know, that aren't, I mean, like my white cell count isn't, it's just on the low range of normal. So it doesn't really make sense of that, but, um, you know, so that's always a question for me. Um, but the other drug had a nickname called the red devil. (laughs) And and it, uh, I, I was in an oncology nurse the other day I was in and, and she was like, oh yeah, wow. That was a long time ago. You know, what, what was your treatment? And I was telling her and I said, yeah, it was crazy to me that when they administered this drug into my port that I had in my chest, which goes straight into your veins, they said that, they have to like glove up with these super thick gloves and tape every exposure so that they don't, so it doesn't touch their skin.
0: That's insane. And but it's going to stick your blood and your brains.
1: Yeah. And the reason is that it burns on contact.
0: What? How does it work mm-hmm. in the body then? It must be- well, I
1: think it, I think it burns on contact when it's exposed to H to uh, whatever CO2 or what, what, what's our air's composition. I don't know. You know, or, oxygen and
0: co2
1: yeah yeah um so so that's what makes it burn skin i guess so so if so it can't get out in the air and it can't touch your skin when it goes in it has to go straight into your veins you know so like oh yeah that makes me feel good <laughs> so intense. and and it was yeah five Sorry. days
0: a week for seven weeks oh, no I mean?
1: that no that that's uh, not radiation so that was um, that was my chemotherapy cocktail infusion so they they put three different drugs into a, a bag you know and um, put it into your veins and so that was for six months but that was once every three weeks because they put it into you and then your body like half dies and you have to recover from that before your next one.
0: Would you just feel unbelievably awful after the treatments?
1: Well, you know, it, or does it actually, actually not because they pump you full up like of steroids and painkiller, you know, just, it was a really odd feeling. And I don't know if it's because I'm aware of my own body, but every time I came home from an infusion, I would have to go and stand in the little pond in my backyard. <laughs> I just needed to be in water. A couple of crazy things that they did for me is, one, um, because of the the chemotherapy I was getting, they had to do a thing called a MUGA scan, which is testing your, make sure your heart's working and it's not getting uh, harmed by your treatment. Okay. uh, So they take some of your blood and then they mix it with, um, oh gosh, I forgot the exact element, but it's like a radioactive isotope or something. I don't know if isotope's the right term. uh radiation basically they mix it in your blood and it glows and they they then they shoot it back into you and you go into the you know like a big pet scan machine thing and they watch your heart work while the stuff is going through it and it glows so they can see it wow
0: cool
1: (laughs) And, and um yeah you know which seems really cool except that again it's like they come in and this stuff is in um insulated hard metal locked box you know and they come in with like lead gloves you
0: know,
1: yeah and shoot it into you and your blood you're like wow okay cool and then they say um don't let your daughter don't hug your daughter and don't let her sit on your lap um at least until tomorrow because she could get radiation
0: holy shit so it's like emanating out of your pores or something yeah yeah that's insane
1: isn't it? I know. I know. At this point, I I call myself the cockroach because I think I'm going to live through anything. Yeah, I bet you Because <laughs> that step, like, and, and the that really toxic stuff that they sort they half expected to see some heart damage, and they said my heart actually got stronger. <laughs>
0: nice. Your yeah. So, I mean,
1: I, I know. I, I'm thinking like I. Sometimes I feel like I, the the um the leading uh, or most influential God in my universe is Murphy, you know, because it always, I always seem to have the contrary to popular experience. Right. So in this case, it worked well.
0: Good for you. Yeah. I think it's got so, a strong heart to begin with. I think it got, yeah. it got powered yeah. by the, by its own, you know, resources.
1: Yeah. Uh, what is it? Chloe and I call me Deadpool. Cause you know, <laughs> like, like put the poison in me and I get stronger. That's
0: great. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you have all these nicknames for yourself.
1: Oh yeah. Well, you kind of have to. You know, you got to got to make it fun. But um, so so the other uh, th- and I'll let you ask. I'm sorry, I keep babbling on, don't I? But uh, oh, I love it. So the
0: um,
1: the other one, another crazy thing that that they did is uh, when I was so I had my uh, reconstruction done um, after the radiation, which I now know is a bad idea. Um, cause you can't actually stretch irradiated skin. It turns, I'm like, so when they do radiation, it's, they, they, you can't stop the beam. So they have to like shoot it through you and, and it goes all the way through your body. Right. And so when they're focusing it, um, like it was funny, I found out many years later when I was in the hospital for pneumonia and they were taking a picture of my lungs and they said, there's like the top half of your right lung looks very bad looks very scarred you know and i was like oh shit you know what's that all about and so i started asking around and found out that when they focus the beam and it's you know for breast cancer they either have to go in the direction of your heart or your lungs so (laughs) they have to pick your lungs wow but they don't tell you know that's like the information thing i i can't believe they don't tell you that
0: it's pretty amazing to me what what doctors know and don't reveal like while they're doing shit to you, you know? Yeah. It's, it's and
1: I'm finding practice so, to do this. Yes and it's endless, you know, the 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 times that that happens. And uh, so yeah, self-advocation is really like the only way to really know what's happening to you anymore.
0: Totally. Yeah. It's and, incredible how they're just they, and they'll actually consciously hide it from you because they don't think you
1: they don't you, think you, need, you
0: know. Yeah, you don't need to know or mm-hmm. it's you can't it's too scary, or you'll or you'll refuse the treatment if you think yep. it's too much. Or, but that's so wrong. To I mean, you are a living being, and you yep. I your get body. to make a choice. Definitely. So, what's up with your lungs? Are they are they okay? Or uh,
1: it- well, you know, actually, um, I usually get really nauseous when I do any kind of intense cardio. You know, so uh, I just have to keep it kind of low level. Um, so
0: they're operating at sort of less than optimal. Well, I guess, uh,
1: yeah, I guess that's mostly scar tissue up in that one. T- I don't know what top half means. I don't know how what percentage it is of, you know, the right lung. But, yeah, you know, it just basically means that I'm, I'm a, you know, just know your limits. And, you know, when people say, come on, keep at it, you can do it. I just have to say, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Do you have people telling you to you go to boot camp or something? Like who's, oh, who's-
1: You know, no, it's just, you know, I I I don't not recently. Um that was in my marriage when Scott wanted me to ride bikes with him.
0: <laughs>
1: Jesus. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So um so and then so anyway, on the surgery thing. So so they had to they couldn't stretch um, the side that had to get irradiated, you know, um, after they, cause they remove every bit of breast tissue and they take the nipple and everything. So you're left with actually less than even what a man has on his chest. Cause you know, men have, have breasts. Right. They're just not as big. Right, um, And so they have to go in and stretch skin. And then, so they put in these little, uh, empty bags, basically that they, six weeks to stretch your skin out. And so you have these balloons that are pushing out on your chest and it's, you can't sleep on your chest. It's so, un, it's so uncomfortable, but you're like, okay, it's worth it to just feel normal and sure. All right, we're doing this, you know? And so then they, um, well, when they did the, they had to do a surgery where they had to harvest skin to create the right breast because there was, because you can't stretch the skin. So they had, they harvested from my stomach and, um, put it up there and then did a microsurgery to connect uh, the blood vessels. Um, And it's, it's just this, it was this crazy, like at at the time the guy who did it was like one of two people in the country who were doing this particular procedure and it was really cool. And I was excited about it. So we went for it, but so after the surgery, because there's a lot of skin movement and stuff going on, you're in ICU. Excuse me. So I was there for about uh, a week and, at some point, and they keep this Doppler thing on your, on the, the uh, harvested skin to make sure that there's blood flow going to it and stuff. And at one point it wasn't sounding good. So they put leeches on me.
0: Whoa. No, know That's like an ancient treatment. like a blood.
1: I know. Not as ancient as you think, you know, they, they, they spit some, some anticoagulants in there and, and, uh, make it so they can drink some blood and they get everything flowing and they get fat and you know you're in i'm in icu i'm on all kinds of drugs and i'm i've always been uh kind of excited by uh just science right you know and so this is happening to me and it's kind (laughs) of (laughs) cool and so i'm looking so but the nurse comes in and put the leeches on and she's like i know it's hard and i'm like no i'm all right but i just really don't want one to fall off and be in my bed, you know, <laughs> and so, America. you know, and so she was like, all right. So she took this Dixie cup and taped it underneath them. And, um, and at one point, apparently one got away. Cause literally there was a leech crawling down the hall, oh. <laughs> but they're tiny. They're not what you think. They're, they're like less than an inch long.
0: Okay. they're baby leeches,
1: I guess. I guess. Yes. How many of them? Cute. I think I, I think I like on the rotation, I probably, they're only one at a time. So I had like five total.
0: Okay. So they just place it right on the spot where they want to get the. Box.
1: Yeah. And it just stays there until it's full and then it falls off.
0: Wow. And then it walks down the hall.
1: Yeah. If you don't catch it in the Dixie cup or whatever, I guess. <laughs> oh my God. And you know, I mean, I think. I almost think that I, it was more entertaining to me because I didn't have anyone there with me.
0: Uh huh.
1: yeah you because know? I sort of had to relate with everyone around me. I couldn't be like, "Oh no, protect me," you know, or whatever. I don't think I would ever do that, but, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a, it was a sort. Of, I sort of got forced to just be a part of the medical team. And <laughs> yeah, amazing. I you know. So leeches and radiation and you know, crazy chemicals. You know. Glowing yeah you know and and it was i think that uh i mean i really do I don't know if you know the song i think it's de la soul pain will make you better
0: i don't know if i know that what what album is it from
1: you know i never know albums um but it's with, uh, i don't always know song yeah. titles yeah I yeah so it soul. might just, it might just be called pain i but the you know it's with snoop dogg and de la soul i think you might want to check, okay. check so that It's just a great, it's just a great song. And I mean, I just, I believe it. I think people who have gone through shit end up having a a bigger, maybe better perspective, hopefully.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, just more capacity for, for feeling, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, it's like, I I sort of, you know, for, it it may not seem kind, but I almost wish that, (laughs) I wish that Scott would go through something that really, really sucked you know, so he
0: wake up to the fact that he's being selfish. And yeah.
1: Being,
0: yeah. I know. I wish we could wish that upon. I mean, you don't want to really wish pain upon people, but you do want them to wake up. Yeah. And uh, Sometimes that's what it takes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I mean, just uh, the, I, I think it would be, and I'm, well, you would think that he would have learned something now. I mean, I don't know if uh, I ever mentioned this to you, but after I moved out, I actually uh, gave him an, ultimatum to, cause I, I really wasn't, um, you know, you don't get married to get divorced. <laughs> so I was, I was trying my best to figure out if, if it was ever going to, I finally figured out that it was never going to be about me, um, unless something changed. And so I said, you know, basically, uh, if you can't figure out how to be happy with what we have as we have it right now, then I have to go somewhere. Cause I can be happy with me, you know? And, his response was, what are my options? <laughs> so I, yeah, just, I, got, I, literally, I didn't even finish the conversation because I already knew what I needed to do. And and so I got up and I, you know, everything that we had built together was on his, on the uh, narcissist family compound.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, I had to walk away from it. Like we were together for 15 years with two good incomes and, you know, I, I had to walk away with very little. And uh, then Seven months after that, he, uh, accidentally burned down the house.
0: Jesus Christ. The the house that you were, that in? he and I had built. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. How did that happen? Uh,
1: he left a can of, he had cleaned out the fire or he cleaned out the fireplace and left a can of ashes on the deck that I guess he didn't think there was anything hot in it still. Ugh. And, uh, he didn't put it on a tile like he should have. <laughs> And uh, so it was just on a deck, and yeah, it burned. It, and it the the it was there was so much irony because it, it burned right outside Chloe's room. Um, she was gone. I mean, it, it was in the morning after she had gone to school, but it took completely destroyed everything in her room and the spare room, which was where I had my stuff that was still there. Oh. And the the rest of the house got smoke damaged, but it was totaled, and they had to take it down. But There have just been so many uh, ironies that I look at and I just think, you know, I really, I, I have been on a hard lesson plan. Um, I, I want to say one more thing because I feel like um, it's something that every October, you know, there is like this big pink October thing. Right. And I just want everyone to know from someone who has suffered with not terminal, but next to terminal, you know, breast cancer. I don't want the attention on breast cancer. You know, it's like I'm. it makes me mad because boobs are, you know, it's fun to talk about boobs you know and it's all about money uh-huh. making in my opinion. I was like no, it's cuz we love women and we're supporting them. And no, everyone's playing into the money trap on that in my opinion. And so, I mean, that's one that I feel like I want to spread to everyone possible is, you know, kids cancer. Um heart attacks for women are more deadly. Um, you know, colon cancer. Oh, it's not pretty to talk about, but maybe let's try it, <laughs> you know. Um uh-huh. I just, it, 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 makes me mad. I want to crush the whole stupid pink money, make money machine.
0: I, okay. That's, thank you for sharing that. Cause that's, that's important and valid coming from someone <laughs> who knows um, what, what would you prefer in its place? Like how, how would it, I mean, a lot of that stuff, a lot of the campaigning is just to get money for, you know, ostensibly for research, but who knows where it's actually going
1: um well right and you know when you when you really look into you know the organizations and whatnot um I, I don't know how much gets to research and and i think i mean there's statistics on the web it's it's not much
0: i think it's very little compared you know a very small percentage
1: yeah and you know it, it, there's it the hard part is that it's all coming from from all the par- participants it's with all the best intention you know right and, and I fully appreciate that aspect of it, you know, but I think that it's a, it's a problem of being sheeple, you know, we're just taking what they give us. And so in its place to me, um, is, you know, maybe when people are, you know, told to buy a pink bracelet, you know, maybe ask that retailer or or find, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to be honest with you, but I would, I say personally, when I do want to, um, contribute to cancer research. Um, I do it just for children's cancer.
0: That's, I think that's a good, good angle. That's always, that's always a good place to put your resources.
1: Yeah, and you know, everybody has their thing, you know, but um, you know, the other thing is that, and I for, I don't know what the exact statistic is, but the, the majority of um, women who are told they have breast cancer don't actually have an invasive cancer you know, they have a tumor that, that could grow bigger, but it would never go anywhere else in their bodies and is really never life threatening. You know, that's how they get lumpectomies. Okay. Um, and so the way that it kind of, uh, made my experience more difficult up here is that, you know, everybody around said, Oh, well, my friend went through breast cancer and and, and she's doing great. She's running marathons, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, she didn't have the treatment I did. She didn't lose part of her lung. And, you know, you get to a point where you just don't want to be measured against what this, you know, big broad brush idea is.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. And it, and it actually goes toward anything because what I've been finding, what I'm learning with it, my most recent injury, which is among my, the most serious injuries I've uh, encountered endured is uh everybody the second they ask you like right after they ask you what happened they immediately tell you what happened to them or somebody they know mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. they're more interested in telling you that story and uh, i mean i don't when people have asked me i I'll, i just say motorcycle accident and i don't really go into details unless they push and and i by the way i'm not trying to relate this to cancer because i know <laughs>
1: No, don't worry about it no i, I we are talking yeah no we're
0: I'm just talking about the the nature of the human who sort of needs to bring it back home and needs to make it kind of about them or or mm-hmm. you know needs to be able to relate, but they're relating on points that may have nothing to do with your story, and it, it's just kind of the oh I know somebody oh yeah I know somebody that did that had that or that happened to me, but it's it might be in a completely different arena
1: Right and and I think it I think it's the subtext right um you know when you have someone who like I think you know like like you said I think there's there's sort of different types of that there's wiggle room in there where like some people are genuinely saying so so this is what it was like you know when when i went through that what was it like for you you know like how was your experience different that's a that's a conversation but so often you know what i find is it is people trying to say i've been through what you've been through
0: exactly yeah and and often they haven't and not even close
1: yeah and no no two people's experiences the same even if all of the numbers on paper are the same you know and and so i think that's right. I think that might be something I learned too throughout this is is getting frustrated with friends who would say, Oh yeah, well, you know, when I you know, so I understand and you know, like I, I'm in a in a very tight cash flow situation, like, you know, I've got a four oh one K, I've got college savings, I just don't have cash on a daily basis, you know? And and it's yeah. tough. And um And so I have a friend who keeps saying, Oh, I know what that's like. You know, when Ken and I when our kids were young, we we had very little food and we were always worried about stuff, you know, and there's just so many levels of that, that I would wish for that would make my life easier. One of them is having a loving husband. Another is having four parents in the picture who would rescue you at any time. You know, there's just all kinds of things that are going to test how easy it is for you to accept your situation and, You know, I, I just, I like, she's a friend who I have to just realize that it's not a productive conversation because she wants, she feels that I should be able to be talked into, um, feeling how she feels.
0: Right. And,
1: but you don't have that safety net. You don't have. No. And then, you know, you get to a point and I think really, I I think that I let go of needing people to understand, you know, I've really learned a lot about that. And I've, I've become less of a sharer than I used to be.
0: I think that's a really huge thing to, it's, it's such a freeing realization. Like once you get mm-hmm. it, that you don't have to convince anybody else to see it your way. Yeah. You just, you know how you feel and you understand it as much as you do. And, and you never really can get it across to another person exactly how you know no no one exactly the most
1: you can't and like you know friendship is about friendship and love and and all of that is really about accepting someone in the space they're in and supporting them in that and if they're asking for help help them out and if they need you to just say hey this sucks say god it sucks yeah you know it was actually a You know, Gloria Vanderbilt, who's Anderson Cooper's mom, wrote a book on grief and she had suffered just an unbelievable uh, many different times, you know, losing a son, just very, very many things. And so she was truly an expert and her, I saw her interviewed actually, Anderson was interviewing her and she said the single most important thing that you can do for people in grief and trauma is to sit quietly and listen and then just say acknowledge how hard it is and say, say that you're just sorry it's happening you know. because saying aren't you glad you're alive
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> doesn't do yeah. anything it could,
0: have, it could have been worse that's the yeah, one I
1: hear. That's, oh god that's you know constant yeah and it's like I guess that's supposed to make me feel better but somehow right now yeah. I really want you to just agree with me that this sucks right now
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really great advice for any for any issue that someone's having. Mm-hmm. Just acknowledge that they're having that issue and say, "I'm really sorry you're going through yeah. that." That's,
1: and that's, if they don't like where bad. they are, and you think you can help them out of it, you can offer it, but you know, don't abandon them when they don't do it your way. I think that's I think that's a where a twisting point is in friendship.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, well, I think that's a good good note to leave.
1: Stopping point.
0: Uh, yeah. How about you? You okay? You think it's?
1: I'm good. Yeah, I'm talked out. Okay. I mean, believe me, I, I believe you know. We could we could call and chat just on the phone anytime. I'm, I love getting into conversations. <laughs> me
0: too. Me too. It's <laughs> one of my favorite things. So, yeah, you let's did a good thing. Sorry.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say you did a good thing starting the podcast. It's a great way to f- facilitate conversations.
0: It was it was sort of essential for me because I'm I'm such an isolator that uh I don't I don't have much connection to the outside world unless I go looking for it. Mm-hmm. You know? and this is my favorite way to connect with people. just one-on-one and go That's deep. Awesome. Very smart. Yeah. Thank you. I didn't really realize how, how much I needed it and how valuable it would mm-hmm. be, but, but it is, uh, in a sense, kind of life-saving for me to have this.
1: Yeah. It, it reminds me of what, uh, it was funny. Someone on the phone said to me the other day, they said, I was just worried about something. And they said, don't worry. God always provides, (laughs) you know? So it's like, no, you were isolated and, and you, and this came to you and it's beautiful. It's a great idea.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on and for being, being who you are. And, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, very impressed by your fortitude and your attitude and, uh, I just think you're a lovely person.
1: Well, same to you, Justin. And, you know, we didn't hang out much together when we were in the city. I think we were kind of both more on the edges. But, uh, you know, please know that I think of you as a friend. And if you if you do come up this way, you know, maybe you and your daughter want to hop on the train because it, it comes in about a block from my house in Colfax. Nice. Yeah.
0: That's excellent. Well, I think of you as a friend as well. And uh, let's definitely... Be in touch.
1: Okay, sounds good. Thanks, right. thanks for wanting to hear hear what I have to say, Justin. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, it's a, it's a pretty amazing story, and I'm sure there's a lot more of it. So um, maybe maybe on a future episode, we'll, we'll
1: all right follow. follow
0: cool. All right, thanks, Allison.
1: All right, thanks, Justin. Have have a wonderful weekend.
0: Thanks you too. I Bye. Know. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh it sure is nice to be back. I hope you enjoyed listening. I appreciate you greatly. Um, if you want to find me, you can find me on the internet. It's, uh, well, outspokenpodcast.com And you can also find me on another part of the internet. And that is called Instagram. And there I just post occasional pictures and words about the show and about the life that is led by the consciousness within. And uh, yeah, that's at Outspoken underscore podcast. And uh, let's see. Well, I got some new exciting stuff happening around the corner. I'm trying to get everything all set up for the new year to release some new show-related things, Uh, perhaps a little merchandise someday, and definitely some other stuff, some bonus content and things that uh, I'm thrilled about. I hope you will be too. And stay tuned, and please come back again. And I love you, and I'll see you next week. Bye.